0: Welcome to Reader Radio. My name is Chris Bolling. Um, Today we're going to be hearing the second part of our series with Ryan Salins and Megan Smith-Salins about inclusivity. I'm sitting here with Emma Schartz. Uh, She's the reporter who conducted the interview. And uh, Emma, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, what we're going to be hearing in today's podcast.
1: Yeah, so today's podcast, I would say, is more of the advice section of our podcast series with Megan and Ryan Uh, for this episode they touch a lot upon uh, pronoun usage, you know, what to do if you make a mistake and also their advice for uh, younger gender queer or LGBTQ plus identifying youth uh, and, you know, what to do when you're starting to question your identity and kind of where you can go and, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you kind of mentioned this in the interview, but, you know, so much of like our lives these days is inundated with like information, especially on the Internet um, about a lot of things, but especially, you know, this sort of stuff. Like I think they mentioned in the first podcast that the uh, Trevor Project found out uh, or reported that there was, you know, a hundred different like labels people were kind of using for their um, sexual orientation and gender identity. And, uh, I mean, especially with, like, you being in college right now, you're probably seeing a lot of that. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, what did you really take away from it that uh, you found, like, most interesting?
1: Yeah. uh, When Megan and Ryan sort of talk about um, how pronouns are used in workplaces or in schools, uh, I found that most interesting personally. Uh, As you said, I'm in college, and I talk about how – in all of my classes this year, it's been mandated that you introduce yourself with your name and your pronouns and your graduation year. And it was very interesting and kind of uh, mind-opening for me for Megan and Ryan to say, well, no, maybe that approach isn't the most inclusive and it isn't actually helping the people that it's setting out to help, almost being a little bit performative in a sense. So I found that really interesting.
0: Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let's waste no time. Let's get right into the podcast. This is our second conversation with Ryan and Megan. If you want to hear the first one, you know, just uh, scroll back and wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, and I'm sure that you can find it. But, you know, uh, with that being said, let's get into it.
1: is social media something that comes up uh, a lot kind of in your work with youth?
2: Let me think about that. Honestly, not really. It's interesting as I'm talking about this, because I know that there it's, I agree with you. I think on some level it's a public health crisis, but I'm trying to think of the youth that I see right now. And I'm not hearing a lot of that. In fact, I don't even know what social media platforms they're accessing right now.
3: There's so many. I can't (laughs) keep track. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure.
2: I would say that was much more of an issue. And again, I don't know how much that's just because these youth have so much going on right now. It's like, that's the least of my worries. Like I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how I'm going to get through tomorrow. Um, But I haven't, when I'm thinking about it I wouldn't say that I've heard a lot about social media in the past in the past I heard a lot of access like bullying it made bullying easier Um, they could access it more Um, I would say definitely when it comes to bullying it's much more I hear it happening um, at school than I do other places
3: so here's what I say because I get asked that all the time (laughs) that's what I do I first say, you go up to someone, and you say, hi, my name is Ryan. What is your name? How are you doing today? Right? So you start with that relationship. You listen to the name a person goes by, and you get to know them. If you don't know someone's pronouns, don't use pronouns. It's easy to do. If you learn someone's pronouns, use their pronouns. If you make a mistake, apologize, right? If someone is harassing someone and refusing to use their name or pronouns, tell them that that is not okay. That is harmful to that young person. We need to respect people for who they know, who they are today, or how they currently identify so they have more room to grow. Right. Um, so but really getting more curious in your conversations and having conversations with people again um, and just knowing that you can be open, too, because what happens so often, like especially in the healthcare field, I can't tell you how many times I hear, Ryan, I really want to serve the trans community, but I'm terrified of making a mistake. And I said, don't let fear lead this. You will make mistakes. We are human beings. This is part of the learning process, right? It's how you handle mistakes. And we can handle them by giving apologies if, if and when they happen, right? But don't hold yourself back from interacting with people because of that fear of what to say or you don't know what to say. Um, go Use the name that they go by and just ask them questions that are questions you would ask people when you're just generally talking to them.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like lately... Um kind of on the internet, whatever, I'm 19. So the internet is like where I go to for basically everything. And that's what I've grown up with. But I've been seeing kind of a lot of discourse around how to make those apologies or how to go about, oh, I've made a mistake. Um, you know, how do I rectify this? Or how do I express to you know, the genderqueer person in my life that, you know, oh, no, I'm, I actually do affirm with your identity. Um, so I was wondering, I mean, how do you think that people should kind of make those mistakes and then apologize? Or what does that look like?
3: I mean, we all make mistakes. Well, one of the mistakes I made was actually back in the day when I blogged on Tumblr, <laughs> a pretty popular blog. But then Tumblr became weird, and suddenly sounded just a porn site. So I was like, I'm not going to spend all my energy on this. <laughs> That's not going to help me out in life. Uh, so um, I accidentally uh, used the wrong pronouns for the slam poet Andrea Gibson. So Andrea now goes by they, them pronouns. And I use she because I didn't realize Andrea went by they, them. So someone told me uh, in that post, hey, Andrea goes by they, them, just heads up. And so I thanked that person first for letting me know because I did not know. And then the post, I changed the pronouns to they, them, but at the bottom I did put an asterisk and said that I made a mistake. Um, and, you know, mistakes do happen. So, and I apologize for that. Um, so it doesn't have to be a big to-do, right? Or let's say you used the wrong pronouns with someone, but you didn't realize it. That t- during the time, but maybe during your sleep that night or the next day, you realize there you heard someone else use the wrong pronouns. If you're having a conversation with them, um, you know, pick up on the energy. It could be that you just, you, you also, actually, if you pay attention to how often you actually use pronouns in conversations, it's not that often. So, uh, but you know, if you did make a mistake, just say, I, I apologize uh, for that. Um, and continue on with your day. I mean, people with pronouns. For someone that had to adjust in life with people adjusting to my pronouns and name with my transition, you pick up on when people just sincerely didn't mean to or they're in conversation. They use your old pronouns, but you just know, you know, they're working from memory. That's not what they meant. You know, they affirm who you are. Sometimes you just have to let those go because you know it's not something that's being malice towards you. They're not trying to take away or not affirm your identity. They're just talking in natural conversation and going off of memory or what they're used to, right? So you can pick up on those moments versus the people, again, that are just harassing you. In that situation, people need to step in uh, and have intervention done.
1: Yeah, what has your experience been with pronouns? Like, what is your relationship to pronouns?
3: I honestly wish we'd just get rid of them. It would just talk about freeing us all from barriers. (laughs) So, um, so, you know, for me, of course, it would be weird if people use she pronouns with me. But if they did, I'd be like, well, everybody's going to look at you real weird now, aren't they? Because that's not who I am, right? Uh, You know, in my education, I always say pronouns are important and you should respect them. Especially right now for our younger generations, they're growing up with messaging that's very different than older generations, and they're navigating identity and trying to understand sense of self differently at this present moment. We need to respect that and not take away uh, what their experience is, right? Uh, Because we're not gonna be able to have good communication and relationship building if we do that. I always say, but I do recommend that you do not force or mandate they be shared. And I also do not recommend that you ask people their pronouns. And the reason why I do that is just even from my own personal experience, of people asking my pronouns, it feels very disingenuine. Uh, it feels like a sock in the gut. It, it takes me off my rocker. It makes me question who they see me to be. And it feels like it's very, it's invasive into my life. Um, get to know me a little bit. And if you don't know my pronouns again, don't use them. So, and I hear youth telling me that too, that I've been scared to speak up because they're told that that's not how you should act, you know, or that we should be doing this. And so we have to be a little bit careful. Let's not just go rushing forward with something so extremely. Let's recognize that pronouns can be very private and personal, and that may seem weird, right? But they can be. And so we need to be mindful of that and allow people space to share if and when they want to. Um, and give that space to have that happen.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting because, um, you know, this past year was my first year at college. And so anytime that we were in a classroom or a new setting or in a club, it was always common that you say your name and your pronouns and your graduation year. Um, that was totally something we did all year. So I think that's interesting that then you talk about how I mean, I think people come to that probably from a good place of creating an inclusive environment, but how you say maybe that's not super inclusive. That
3: policy went forward without looking at research, <laughs> so this is something I con- constantly had to navigate with the e courses, I, I the e learning courses I wrote that were for healthcare providers. You had to stay with the research and see what that is showing you for policy guidance, not what a. Uh, majority of people are saying because a lot of that is fear-based or I want to be an ally. I don't want to make a mistake. I need to do this and that. That's not actually taking in the nuances of sexuality. I had a hospital system in Seattle call me up from the psychiatric unit because they have so many LGBT youth now in the psychiatric unit for suicide attempts and they just keep saying use my pronouns. We are pushing, putting too much pressure on these kids right? You got you have your whole life to figure out. I'm still figuring out my sexuality. I'm 42. <laughs> you have your whole life. And so we need to be able to allow more of that space to be able to explore who you are and not feel like you have to know your pronouns, right? That And plus, for some people, that could be outing of them, or maybe they're not, and they they don't want to share their pronouns. And it's so it's going against actually what the purpose of it is. So again, you can always have as an option. And if people would like to share, they can share. And then, Pay attention, and if you make a mistake, apologize, right? Uh, But it should not be forced or mandated.
1: Yeah, Megan, um, do pronouns come up a lot
2: in your conversations with youth? Yeah, um, I would say that I am somebody who falls along similar beliefs to Ryan, I think pronouns are very personal. I think they're very private. And I think in this kind of expedited intimacy culture we live in, they can lose some of that when we're leading with it. Um, I think anytime you get into absolutes, we might be in a dangerous zone because most of life is not absolutes. And again, if we're getting back to this conversation around what does it mean to be inclusive, I think choice is always around inclusivity. So for the young people that I work with, um, asking their pronouns usually isn't actually one of the questions that I ask. Um, I definitely ask um, them maybe to describe their gender in their own words. And we usually stumble upon pronouns. Um, I won't use pronouns until they share that with me. Um, And I uh, don't lead with my pronouns. I know it's very popular to put, I am pronoun indifferent. That's how I identify. So in my um, email, it just says pronoun indifferent. Um, But yes, I've had too many conversations with, people I will say young people but also people across the lifespan that has made as Ryan said the concept of introducing and um ourselves with our pronouns more nuanced for me I've heard young people say that they didn't know their pronouns yet and so it felt like a lot of pressure um I've had uh, young people say that they did know their pronouns but they weren't ready to come out yet and so having to introduce themselves over and over again with the wrong set of pronouns was actually quite triggering for them and I've had getting back into what Ryan was talking about earlier just some of the ageism that I think can happen in the community I've certainly had Clients, Because I've worked with clients, I've had people as old as in their 70s transition, and I've had some of them share that that feels really invalidating to their identity to have to announce that because they felt like they transitioned so that they didn't have to do that. Whether you agree with these or not, I think it gets back to what we've been talking about is how do we enter into relationships with curiosity about who the person is sitting across from us without coming with all of these assumptions? Because even if somebody tells you their pronouns, what do you know about them at that point? And we can make a lot of assumptions about people based on that. Um, But I also think that with curiosity, because I'm hearing that as a buzzword like a lot lately, like we need to be curious, we need to be curious. Well, curiosity doesn't happen in a fast paced way. So I also think what we're advocating for is slowing down because you can't really get to know somebody. And I think everything we're doing right now, I joke, I'm a huge gardener and into foraging, and I talk about the difference between foraging Versus a Lunchable. And I feel like a lot of the stuff we're offered right now is this pre-processed, already divided up, you know, teach tells you exactly how you're going to eat it versus foraging, where you go out, you have no idea what you're going to discover. Um, You have to get really familiar with the land. You have to know things. You have to taste it. You know, it slows the whole process down. And I think that's what I'm experiencing a lot of. And what these youth are feeling is, again, this expedited intimacy, this lunchable-like effect where it's like I'm supposed to know all of the things and have it already known. And I'm supposed to announce it immediately. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on people. I think it puts a lot of pressure on people.
3: Too much pressure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 So
1: when you talk about the lunchable versus <laughs> the you know, foraging, foraging yeah. example. Yeah. So are you specifically kind of talking about like gender and sexuality and identities and everything like that?
2: Yes. And my thing, you know, it's interesting. I know Ryan was talking about he works in healthcare, and I work with a lot of um, younger therapists who are coming up. And one of the things I hear from a lot of them is I don't know what to ask. I don't know what questions to ask. And I think some of that is like okay, where have we crossed the line where like people are scared to even ask a question and what's happening with that? Not that we shouldn't be mindful because again, it's slowing down and being really aware of how we choose our words, what we are saying. Um, Even when Ryan was talking about the apology, I think sometimes it's less about the words that you use and more about the actual affect and feeling behind it because people can tell. Um, serious about who, like the, the questions I ask the youth are around, like, what kind of music do you like? You know, like, what are you watching? Like, who do you watch on YouTube? Um, but also like have a seminar on gender. Like, it's real easy. Like I, you could talk about gender and sexuality for a lifetime. Like the goal is for people to be curious about themselves, their own feelings, and also Who else is around you? Because we were talking earlier, I think there's this real push on individualism and speaking your, you hear things like speak your truth. And, and I'm not anti individualism. I'm all about self-awareness. But I think, again, we've gone to this extreme where it's only the individual and it's only the self. And we've forgotten the larger culture and cultural context that we all exist in and that there are also people outside of you to have relationships with like it's not just your world so it's also like expanding like you know imagine that there's other people in this world with you and how they might be feeling like
3: i'll never forget when i was at the university of nebraska lincoln exploring my sexuality and being really terrified and i was getting my master one of my masters is in english and creative writing and um my characters kept becoming lesbians and so my writing workshop classmates would be like you got a lot of lesbians happening here are you one? I was like what no it's just when my characters are taking me so like i got lost in writing stories about love and relationships and sex and then i remember when i was actually like thinking more deeply like I have attraction to women (laughs) What am I doing with this? And I remember going into the stacks And finding um, old lesbian pulp fiction books By Ann Banyan And they were very scantily clad women With very racy titles And it was so embarrassing to check out a library Uh, But it was so exciting to check out And then I remember going to the Blockbuster Uh, (laughs) R.I.P. Well, the perfect video store Welcome to Blockbuster Video Is popping up all over the country there's one near you. Uh, <laughs> and, get, and finding a movie in the discount bin for like four bucks called Kissing Jessica Stein. Oh, that's women seeking women. There was one more thing to consider.
2: Whenever I thought about lesbianism in the past, I've always said ew, you know, just just ew.
0: She is trying new things.
3: Who's the guy?
2: There's no guy. I'm gonna have to go slow, okay? Oh, okay.
0: You're a terrible liar.
2: Trust me. There's
3: no guy. no, and I like I watched that movie for six months straight, uh, just because i was, it was so that's how I, I use my emotion of try and find myself is through those forms of media, the fiction and the and the different characters in these stories through film as well,
1: yeah, definitely. And I feel like you know, all these thoughts and conversations about individualism definitely relates back to social media and kind of curating your own world and your own image and your image of others just in this little bubble of, you know, your Instagram account and your TikTok profile and everything like that. It's so interesting.
2: I always talk about just being curious about who you're, because I've noticed a lot of parents feel like they have to have answers or solutions. Um, or there's a lot of information that they might be hearing about their young person that is not information that they knew and that can bring up a lot of feelings. One of the stories I always share in my parenting groups is when um, Ryan and I were in Amsterdam for one of the big trans conferences um, and we had the opportunity to tour Anne Frank's house and one of the Experiences there that always stuck with me was Otto Frank, Anne's father, they had a TV of him talking about um, what it was like for him to get Anne's diaries after he um, got out of the concentration camps. And he was talking about how Anne was always this happy and joyful young girl. And when he read her diaries, he realized the depths to who she was. Like there was such depth in her writing and just the complexity. And he said something around like, I guess we never fully know our children. And I think for parents there's a big there's a big disconnect when they're hearing information maybe that they didn't know about their child, that they there's a grieving in that of like, oh, did I What did I miss? Did I not see this? And sometimes it can come out as this isn't happening because I didn't know it. And one of the things I tell parents, especially of teenagers, I'm like, never tell a teenager who they're not. Because if you're saying, I hear from a lot of parents, I just want them to slow down. I just want them to explore. I'm like, well, if you keep telling them that, no, you're not this or you're not sure or this is just because of this, they're just going to lock in their heels even further because they're having to prove to you something. If people don't have to prove who they are, it gives them so much more space to get to explore that for themselves. So one of the things I advise parents to do is try not to frame any conversation where your child is going to have to try to prove to you who they are.
3: When I came out to my parents, I did it through a seven-page letter. And I, this coming out letter just recently resurfaced because my parents have moved and my mom saved a bunch of stuff. And one of the things she saved was this letter. And so I reread it and it was very medically driven because that's the way that I communicate with them on stuff and just the way my brain thinks usually. Uh, and what I said in it, paraphrased, is uh, I don't know why I'm trans, but I am. And at this point in life, you can either have a happy kid or a dead kid because I've already attempted suicide twice. And I said, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I love you very much. This is not about you. This is just who I know myself to be. And I went into all the stuff around gender dysphoria and the diagnostic codes and all that. And then I closed noting that they're going to go through a grief cycle process and how I'm going to allow them the space to go through that. Now, mind you, again, I was 24 going on 25 when I did this, so very different than if I was a young person. I mean, I was young, but not that young. Um, and, I, and so I allowed them to go through their own process because what I recognized is that I don't know why this is and why this is the life path that I just know was mine to take, but I just needed to honor it. And I recognize for them that's very scary because, one, I did something that, especially back in that time, it just wasn't, really wasn't heard of. Like my dad said to my brother, you only see this stuff on TV. He didn't know that I was in a documentary and then also on Larry King Live a couple of times. But anyways, <laughs> um, it, you know, and so it just, it was really surreal for them to even have a child just transition gender. That just seemed like something totally far out there, right? Um, but now 16 years later, it's so fascinating because even when my parents talk about memories of me from my childhood, they use my male name and male pronouns. When I talk about my past, I don't. I use my female name and female pronouns. Um, And so I just find it fascinating how they just don't even skip a beat. And now they like to talk about their LGBT friends that they have in the senior assistant community. Like It's so amazing to see that process and how people can grow and break down and away from their fears. Like for my brother, he was so fearful and he was so stuck on the what ifs And he realized not, but he was very supportive, I should preface, he was the most, I wouldn't be here today without him. Uh, And so, but he, when I first came out, he was just really like very fearful of what would happen to me and what happened to the family. And he decided that the best thing you can do is let go of the what ifs and just be there and have faith in the other person's journey and process. Uh, And when that person needs to reach out, just be there for them.
2: I think it's really good that you're sharing about the fears because I think that's where a lot of parents are coming from. And most of the parents, again, this has been very different, but most of the parents I work with now, and granted it could be biased because I'm very open and out about who I am and what I do. Most of the parents I get are super affirming. They certainly bring their fears of, you know, Will the, ch- will the world love my child? Will my child find work? Will my child find meaningful relationships? Will my child be safe in this world? So some of, I find that I call it gender shaming that can come out is very, most of the time, in, unintentional, and it's usually... Uh, in this kind of like, I'm just looking out for you bubble. So I help parents like reframe, how can you share, you know, some of what you're wanting them to learn essentially how to navigate the world without that shame piece that makes it sound like they're doing something wrong as opposed to the world has a lot to unlearn, you know? So I think a lot of it is fear-based and helping parents get to a place where they can feel purposeful in their parenting, because again, that's one of the reasons I started the support group, because I found that the young people actually had great support, but these parents were kind of flailing, and none of them could call up their friends and be like, so when your kid came out as trans, how'd you handle that? They didn't have anybody. So having a support network for parents where they can share this information with each other and process some of the feelings Ryan brought up, like his parents processed, because you don't want to put that on your child. Your child is already going through stuff. You want to be able to be part of the scaffolding, but you also need scaffolding. So having parents also find support for themselves is really important so that they can, because we can't parent from a place of fear. That's never going to lead to right action. It's totally understandable why you have that fear, but how can we get you to a place of um, feeling purposeful and intentional in what you're doing? And I find that a lot of the parents that I work with more now are more worried about their child's mental health um, due to, again, this is a huge thing that parents bring up, is it you know, is my child mentally ill and that's why they think they're trans or, you know, and it's like most of the people I have um, had the honor of working with over the years, um, the, the anxiety and depression and whatever they're having is from the environmental stressors. Most of them are pretty clear about who they are. And even if they're questioning, it's not a place that takes them to such dark places. Usually the thought of not having, Family support, you know, again, back to not being loved, not having a place of belonging, um, being discriminated against every day when you walk out the door. You know, those are the environmental stressors that cause the anxiety and depression. It's not the identity itself.
1: What advice do you have for youth um, who are kind of worried about coming out to their families or, you know, worried about having maybe a hostile home environment or a not inclusive home environment
2: if they identify with the LGBTQ plus community? Wow. Especially if they don't have a great family environment. I mean, if I was working with a young person and again, that probably at this moment in time is highly unlikely. Although I've worked with um, youth who maybe have parents who are separated or divorced and one parent's very accepting and one parent's not. So I've had to navigate that. Um but I would want to navigate risk with them. I mean, coming out might be too dangerous for them if they really feel like that might lead to homelessness. Um, so I I would really, it, to me, it would depend on the individual I'm working with. I know you're asking for general um, advice. So let me think about
3: that. Do I have a you have YouTube any... video on this.
2: Okay, why don't you, <laughs> so, why don't you remember I, what I you don't, said?
3: I, well, I would, you know, first say that If you don't feel ready to come out, you don't have to come out. That's number one. This is your timetable, your timeline, nobody else's, right? In the coming out process, if you feel like you are ready to come out, look at who you feel would be the person that you feel would support you the most. And it may not be a family member, or within the family, it may be an extended family member, not an immediate family member. Just having someone—if you know that Aunt Karen over there is going to be on your side—and if something goes sour with your family, that you could go over to her house and land for a second—that could ease a lot of your anxiety. So it's safety planning as well, or coming out to friends, or if the friend's family is really supportive, seeing how that family is, and if there were something when you came out to yours again, so you could have somewhere to land. Because as Megan brought up, homelessness isn't. Something that happens often and frequently for LGBTQ youth. You know, for at least almost 30 years now, we report at any given time 40% of the youth on the streets identify as LGBTQ. Um, Well,
2: and I'm very sensitive because, again, back to the work, how I started, a lot of the. folks that I worked with who are in sex work it was directly because they were kicked out of their homes.
3: And then we look at the child welfare systems and that's disproportionately LGBTQ represented with the highest being uh, black and Latina females. So finding safe places that you can land is really important. Um, If one parent is supportive and the other isn't again keep the support messages in your head and hope that that other parent will continue to do their work. And the hope is, again, for them to get their own support and their own therapy uh if you want your family dynamics to improve parents also had to go into therapy it's not just the youth that need mental health help right things have happened to you in your own past that maybe you haven't had the time or space to navigate or explore and maybe this is the opportunity to finally do it and start doing your own work because eventually your youth will be out of your house and you're stuck with yourself again so what are you going to do then <laughs>
2: Diane Aaron Saft calls that dealing with your own gender ghosts oh interesting yeah and so and and here's the thing this is what a lot of families fear because it does get into having to, and a lot of the parents I've worked with who were not supporting and affirming at first, and we could work them to that, um, which usually is a lot of listening. Because again, if I go in there and go, no, this is why you need to support your kid, I'm dead in the water. So hearing why, and usually again, once you can get past the bravado, it's usually I'm scared. And so, yeah, if you can uh, help parents work up to that place, but a lot of it is dealing with their own gender ghosts.
3: This is one of the things that I love that I work in corporate America (laughs) because I'm talking about sexuality and it's bringing up stuff for people to have to explore in themselves and the messaging that they received and how that could have impacted them in their own life uh, development and understanding of who they are and and their relationships with other people like sexuality is so messy and complicated, but it's the thing that continues to drive us because we're all sexual beings, right? And it is all about relationship-driven.
2: Yeah, and- but I think I just thought of this. I mean, that's the definition of privilege is that you don't have to think about it, right? And so in some ways, again, in our wounds or our gifts, in some ways, LGBT people... Um, have to look at this. There's not a privilege not to, but that's also a great gift because it really takes you into, you know, I always use the example of like, you know, most heteronormative or heterosexual couples can move to a suburb and already have a house and a family and blah, blah. But a lot of LGBT people have had to go out to the forest, chop down the trees and build their own homes. You know, it's chosen family and and you have to get much more scrappy. Um, So there's a gift in that. But I think what Ryan is now doing and because it's become more mainstream, it's an invitation to folks who haven't necessarily had to think about these things. It's an invitation for them to grow in these ways. And I can't see how that wouldn't be beneficial to the greater society if all of us took time this is what I tell parents too I'm like just think of all of us took time whether that's in our adolescence and beyond to really deeply explore gender and sexuality like how much different would the landscape of the world look if we all did that probably pretty different so it's a it's an it's an invitation that I think you offered to folks that maybe didn't have to think about it before
1: What are people's first reactions to that invitation, especially if they haven't had to kind of grapple with gender and sexuality? I guess either of you can answer this. You know, you working with parents and Ryan kind of working with everybody. But
3: Um, well, I have people coming up to me afterwards sharing a lot of stuff. Uh, about their own lives or things that they recognized. I hear a lot about different people's relationships. I may hear about their sex lives. (laughs) Uh, I mean, people just share stuff with me because they just say that I'm open and warm and like they like to talk to me and then, you know. Uh, So I, I hear a lot about people's own just journeys and the things that maybe they would have never said to someone else before, but they then shared with me. I could just feel, see relief coming off of them. I was at one conference where a woman talked to me for quite a bit of time about her relationships, her past relationships and her current ones and her realizations of her bisexuality. And just seeing her start to put these pieces together and be able to just talk openly with me and not fear what, what she say or feel shame around it was uh, really powerful for her and for me. Uh, I get a lot of people that cry. Uh, I get a lot of people that just want hugs. I love giving hugs. I'm very good hugger, right? Uh, so there, there's a form. I, I, everyone. I mean, in any audience, you're going to have at least one person that's pissed off at you. Can I say that? Is that okay on a podcast? So okay, at least because you're going to really hit the vein, or you're going to really hit that nerve. That's one of the things I do. I'm going to push some buttons too. In fact, in my talks, I always say when I speak, if I say something that makes you uncomfortable, that's okay. I just ask that you don't shut it down that you keep it open and remain curious and explore where that discomfort's coming from. Because where we see change is through exploring discomfort. That's another form of having more awareness of your sense of yourself and also maybe breaking down the way that you view the world around you. Um, and so sometimes it'll all strike a nerve with people. And I've had uh, like a one young person on college campus rage at me because I was talking about the uh, – they used to have the uh, – Michigan Women's Festival, and they went wild trans people in it, right? So we talk about the TERFs people that are like the radical feminists that aren't allowing any space for trans people in, in society or culture. Well, she is very much influenced by people that were the theorists behind this radical feminism uh, culture. And so, man, her I, those were daggers. I could still feel those piercing my heart to this day. But I hit something with her, and I'm, I'm just hopeful. Because of that amount of anger that came out of her, I think that that's going to offer her opportunity to grow. So, you know, I get death threats and hate mail. I don't really get those anymore, but I uh, used to. And you just be like, well, people are working through some stuff. I'm glad I'm helping them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I really think it's the quality of the approach. I think when I work with folks, it's um, I because I think sometimes um, people can feel ready to battle. Um, or they assume they already know what I'm going to say, or that if I'm advertising myself as an affirming therapist, this is what I love to. It's like, um, you know, if I do this work, all of my clinical skills go out the window because obviously I have an agenda. You know, I want that toaster oven. I'm gonna try to get your kid to be queer or trans. You know, and so some of that again is. Um, I always just try to focus on the quality of my approach. And I find that most of the time when I come in there with benevolence and curiosity and compassion and interest um, and listening, that I can usually move people eventually. Um, And I shouldn't even say that, they can move themselves just by giving them enough space to put out all their defenses, Um, because maybe they haven't felt heard either. Um, so for me, I, again, back to, I focus on the equality of the approach and usually I have a pretty good, I have a pretty good, uh, what's the word? Um, track record in, uh, in being able to kind of, you know, Break down people's defenses so that we can then get to the heart of what's going on. And again, at the heart of all the bravado or the anger or the
3: self-righteousness is usually hurt, fear. It's scary when you're vulnerable. Yeah. You get hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the more it happens, the harder it is to bring yourself out. And then when you do take that step or that risk to do it and a person puts it, slams it down again, it it could be crumbling. Yeah. yep yeah
1: yeah definitely um well I mean I guess for one of my last questions I would ask you know what resources would you recommend or what advice would you give again to uh you know young people who are maybe just starting to question their sexuality or their gender or uh you know starting to think about their identity a little bit further
3: Uh, The first thing is don't freak out (laughs) and don't feel like you have to have the exact same feelings as your peers. Um, Allow yourself just that space and time to explore and really pay attention to the sensations that you're feeling in your body right, from your gut to your heart to your head, and what type of things really start to bring out those moments of like the flutters and that excitement uh, versus the fears or the confusion. And just start journaling. Journaling is a way for you to visually bring out your visions onto paper so that you can sit with that and explore it and look at it. And it could be even art, uh, doing more forms of introspection where you can really start to get tapped into what it is going on with your center self and not what is going on around everything around you. That also includes taking time where you really dedicate time, where you're not having distractions, which can be really hard to learn. I think we had to do a lot of work on treat teaching people how to not be distracted by something all the time (laughs) whether it be your phone or be your computer or or be this or be that and just really have that space to get in touch with your thoughts and your feelings and so that you can just take note of those and think about them and process them further because what's going to happen is the more you do this you are setting up um, guidance for your life as you age. I can't tell you how much my past journaling has helped me as an older person in just finding, continuing to stay with my voice and my feelings. Um, so the more that you give yourself information when you're younger about what you're feeling, it gives you time to look back on that and have more sentiment around it and to think deeper about when you've gone through really difficult things in your life and how you've navigate that, navigated that and why it's important to keep going. Because I do believe life is going to keep going. Uh, and the more that we can just respect ourselves, the better our lives are going to be on this planet.
2: Yeah. I'm so bad at these, like give three, like I'm, I'm so bad, but I will try. Um, yeah. One of the things just to kind of piggyback onto what Ryan is saying, I mean, remember that sometimes again, we get into these areas, um, because with the gender evolution, revolution, what you want to call it, what we're essentially saying is gender is dynamic, sexuality is dynamic, but we keep acting sometimes in a way as if it is static. I think a lot of young people struggle with that too, because there's such a demand from the outside that they know who they are and that that's going to stick. There's a lot of pressures that that's going to stick because if we're looking at medical interventions or social transitions, it's like, no, this has to be forever and ever and ever. And it's like, it doesn't you're totally allowed to evolve as a human being and you're totally allowed to evolve in your gender and sexuality and how you've come to understand yourself. Um, I like your ideas about, yeah, I mean so much of what I've heard you say and what I hear other people say is art, art is a huge, whether that's writing, creating art, seeing art, visual art, movie, like that's such a way for people to get to know themselves. Um, find community and i think find elders whether that's a therapist or somebody you meet at you know a group but i think ha- being able to have LGBTQ plus elders in your life and an elder at this time doesn't have to be I mean for a youth it could be somebody in their 20s but I think getting back to what I said earlier about how LGBTQ youth have to navigate the world because they don't have families that's where that chosen family is really important and have elders in your life and I recommend this for parents too because parents sometimes get this fantasy of what their child's life is going to be It's like, how how many, you know, why don't you meet a trans person and hang out with them a while and see what their life's like before you go down that catastrophic thinking? So I think that can be helpful to parents. So, you know, have a mentor or an elder in the community that you can have these kind of conversations with and explore and ask them questions too. Because again, I think we get into this very, like, it's all about me. And sometimes the best way out of that too is to discover who else is in the room with you. Um, So I think finding those support systems are very important for for youth and just having those connections and sense of belonging, because I'm hearing a lot of isolation right now and feeling very isolated from the world. And some of that was pre-COVID. I don't think that's just COVID I I always joke that we were socially distanced before we were socially distanced like it's been happening so I think the more that we can and have those relationships with people um, are really important for youth
3: also just when things that bring you joy find those things and focus on those and keep pulling more and more that into your life Um, and for young people really giving being given a space you don't have to have anything figured out and risk-taking is actually can be very beneficial. <laughs> you know? uh, so taking risks in relationships is also something that's important because you learn more about yourself and another person learns more about themselves. You learn more about being together, right? Um, I think we, we've become so fearful of even talking with one another or, or being vulnerable with one another in actual intimate settings versus the ways that we can do it through our forms of communication via text or other m- modes. Uh, so those just being together and really vulnerable is important. And, um, uh.
2: well, and I would say to say that when you say joy, I would say play because I think, play is something I focus on a lot in my therapy practice. I'm a play therapist, but outside of that, like part of sexuality and gender, that's the joyous part is the play part to play with our clothing, to play with our style, to play with each other. Yes. (laughs) That too. Like, I think, yeah, finding ways to play with gender and sexuality, it's turned into such a serious business. And I'm not saying there aren't very serious aspects, but again, I think we've gotten into this, I'm always a balanced person and we've just kind of kicked over into this highly intellectualized high like that's why I always ask young people to like in your own words describe your gender because I found that I would get like this internet description and I'm like okay that's what the internet said what do you think though like and part of that is getting them to again figure out like What do I think about myself? Like, who am I? How would I describe that in my own language? Not what the internet told me, but like, who do I know myself to be?
0: Thanks again for listening to Reader Radio. This concludes our two-part series on gender, sexuality, and inclusivity. Uh, this episode was hosted by Emma Schartz um, and produced by me, Chris Bowling. Our theme music is from me and John Ricks. You can find him at p0h underscore k at uh, bandcamp.com. Right now you're listening to Sexy by Ben Sound. want to say thanks again to Ryan Sounds and Megan Smith Sounds for joining us for our uh, inaugural uh, podcast episodes. You can find all their information um, at the links in the description. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more reader radio for you soon.